Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your home studio in the school's legendary marathons and learn from dedicated artists and to expand as makers. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present a wide range of art-making strategies combined with comprehensive critiques and inspirational discussions. Paradigm-shifting discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies in understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon. Generous, partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden acrylics, mediums, and materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Kyle Dunn lives and works in Brooklyn, New York, and received his BFA in interdisciplinary sculpture from the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. His work has been included in exhibitions at PPOW in New York, Marlborough Gallery in London, Grimm in Amsterdam, and Maria Bernheim in Zurich, amongst others. He's the recipient of grants from the Elizabeth Greenshields Foundation and the Pollock Krasner Foundation, and his work is in the collections of the Foundation Centretto, Rebaldengo in Turin, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Miami, the Sun Pride Foundation in Kulong, Hong Kong, Pond Society in Shanghai, and X Museum in Beijing. I spoke with Kyle about his recent show, Night Pictures at PPOW, Acrylic Paint, Michigan, Swiss Mountains, and Old Jazz Tunes, and much more. Here's our conversation. But um, I said it's nice, you live where you work. Yeah, it's um, I I got the apartment for the studio space underneath, um, and it's very convenient. And it also it's like a it's a blessing and a curse. Um, 
I've never had, I've always had home studios. So um, it's good for, you know, you can always pop in and do whatever you need to do in the studio, but it can also kind of flatten um, any separation between the two where, you know, you're not just going somewhere separate and, you know, I'm working from X time to Y time and then I'm going back to my real life, you know? Right. They've kind of merged into one thing for me, which um, I think came out in the show quite a bit. Um, and yeah, it's good. It's a good yeah. studio. So, well, it's one or the other, right? It's like if you if you have the studio, you're going there. It's like the concerted effort to go there, and that's your space. But then when you leave, sometimes you feel that disconnect, you know. Because I used to always live where I worked, even when I moved to New York for a long time until I had a kid, and then that was like okay. Yeah, I gotta, uh-huh. I gotta move because this could get distracting. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, but I probably could have kept doing it. But, um, yeah, it's it's kind of nice in a way to to have it there. But you would do that thing where you wake up, like you fall asleep early or something. You wake up after a couple of hours and you're like, well, maybe I'll just work for a little bit. And it it becomes like it gnaws at you, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> my bed is right at the top of the stairs, going upstairs. And so we keep having to get new duvet covers because they keep ending up with splashes of the paint till 11. Because <laughs> I'll work until 3 or 4 a.m. and then just pass out immediately, you know? Right. Um, so it's it's hard on your home goods, yeah. say. Well, at least it's on a different floor, though, right? That's yes, an it advantage. Is. Yeah. When mm-hmm. my, the place I used to live in, Williamsburg, had like, it was just a big open space. And I don't know if this happens to you, but whenever a painting's not finished, it kind of taunts me. You know what I mean? It's like, come yes, on, yeah. you got to get it over that bump of like, I don't know, it's like halfway through or something to where you start to feel good about it. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, it would just like gnaw at me and it was just there looking at me when I was home. So, you know, I would keep wanting, I guess it's good for productivity. I don't know if it's good for the work-life balance. Yeah. Do you turn paintings to the wall when you're not working on them? I never did that. I mean, that seems like a very basic solution. But I've heard that people do that, but I feel like they're like my babies and I, I, it feels rude to them for something. Yeah. I would, I, <laughs> I think understand that's that you could in theory, feel. but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. If someone you don't like is at a party and you just turn your back to the party, it's like, come on, they're still there. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's kind of um, a weird look, you know, you just turn it. You're like, I don't like these yet. I'm just going to make them face the corner. <laughs> yeah. Do you work on multiple paintings at the same time? Not usually. Occasionally I do, but um, I find that when I do that, a lot of times they bleed or certain, I'll take yes. shortcuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to use some of the paint for that one and the other one and, and it, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I'm this I'm this exact same way. Yeah, I never, actually, just until right now, I never thought of it, but I only have one kid and I wonder if that's a similar. <laughs> Maybe. Like, do you wanna... mix? Do you mix food on your plate, or do you eat each thing separately? No, I'll mix. Um, oh, good. Yeah, I'll yeah. mix the flavor. That's fine. Uh huh. Yeah. That's maybe that's where I draw the line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like culinary diversity, <clears throat> and flavor profiles. So yeah, that's fine. yeah. I think what you were saying though, like um, I in the most recent show, just for time reasons, and you know, you can end up gilding the lily. Like you know, you can keep working on things forever. Especially in the most recent ones I had, there's a lot of like minutiae and still lifes and it's easy to just go into those forever. Yeah. And I usually fully finish a painting, but in this show I was getting things to like um, 
80% done and then working on maybe three at a time. But it was already to the point where all of the major, you know, all the major things are in place already. And the color temperatures and the light, the light is already there. Because in the beginning, the risk would be like, if you mix the perfect pink for this cheek, you know, or or like the perfect orange on the wall, but then you have another painting that has orange and you end up just putting it in that too. And you end up with three versions of the same thing. Um, Yeah. 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 That's what I was doing. I was cutting corners. I was like, well, there's a bunch of gray there that could work for that. (laughs) And I was like, I don't want to, you know, just like make it convenient in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's funny how we have these relationships, the paintings or the process that are so specific, I think, you know, like I feel like kind of the opposite of what you're saying is when a painting is, you know, how sometimes people ask you like, well, when's a painting finished? How do you ever really know? Yeah, it's a classic question. Yeah, yeah right. And uh-huh. and I feel like when someone asks me that, I, my, I just think the answer is at a certain point, I just feel like I just pull the ripcord and I'm done. Like I'm out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't, I never, almost never go back into a painting. Like it's mm-hmm. like once it's done, see ya, it's out. And my mind fully commits to the next image or next thing that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to go back in time for me. But it sounds like you like to, you, you know, you'll touch up or you'll tweak things afterwards. Well, I did for this one just for time constraints because I was afraid of, um, you know, you're like, oh, well, I have this quadrant of the painting that still needs some work. And you can budget in your head, oh, that will take four or five days, but then problems and, you know, not, um, you can keep finding ways to alter and edit forever. And I just had, you know, the deadlines, like the reality of actual time pressing down. So you just have to move on at a certain point. Um, I get in a very singular headspace with each painting though, you know, like each one is, um, I don't make, I don't tend to make like different versions of the same image, really. Like each one is its own hypothetical setup, kind of. And so I have to, I have a hard time working on multiple ones at the same time because I don't usually have different versions of the same image. And the, um, the emotions in the painting that are affecting me and that I'm, you know, the back and forth between that, um, it's specific to each one. And so it's, it, it feels like, uh, you can't just jump between one or the other because if one painting is kind of like, you know, has some type of sexual energy and the other one is like a little, um, you know, existential and sad feeling, going back and forth between them doesn't work for me because my head is in that either more energetic place or the, you know. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. like a narrative cloud that your brain is in while you're working on a specific image. And if, you know, you just jump ship and try to go over to the bright place, it's kind of a hard shift to make you know in real time yeah and people like that with music because i always ask people about what they're listening to in the studio and and a lot of people say you know well i can only listen to something that fits the vibe of like the painting you know and then Mm -hmm. other people are like yeah they're making paintings of flowers and they're listening to death metal so yeah you know they're like whatever it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah i um i can't listen to music in the studio it makes me too um emotional i think Mm -hmm. Um, I like, uh, when I, if I listen to music in the studio, I'll think, I think that I'll do it to give me some energy. And then I end up leaving the studio 30 minutes later. Um, I tend, I love, I listen to books on tape and audio books on tape and, um, podcasts usually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's good. I, I feel like that stuff's good fuel. You know, it depends. I mean, some people, you know, when it comes to like, 
podcast that are narrative or like a book on tape or something, they can't like fully engage into the narrative of the the story mm-hmm. because their their mind's in the narrative of the image. Sure. You know what I mean? But it sounds like you're able to separate church and state there. <laughs> well, I think um, for me, it helps to have my brain split in half, you know, because mm-hmm. you want some mixture of um, you're painting intuitively, you know, and if your brain isn't 100% there, you can kind of get to, you know, like you're mixing a color and if it's not quite there yet, maybe you're a couple moves away to making it perfect. But if you're 100% emotionally invested in it and all of your attention is there, then you'll like, I get frustrated. Yeah. Like I need, I need half of my brain somewhere else so that I can be in a kind of more easygoing, intuitive place with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's such a specific, I love this, you know, it's like you, <laughs> this kind of talk only can happen in certain, like with certain people at certain, you know what I mean? Like most people have no idea, like even specific to painting, because I'm sure that's right. totally different than like ceramics or sculpture yeah. or performance or whatever. It's it's kind of fun to to talk about those processes, you know what I mean? And you work in like, cause I was thinking of pace too, cause pace sometimes defines you know, what you listen to or how long you're working or mm-hmm. between different paintings. But do you work with acrylic? I do. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that changes the pace of things. Cause a lot of people who are painting, you know, with oil, it's that whole waiting to dry thing. Sure. Yeah. I started using, um, open acrylics. I think you're sponsored by golden. Hi, yeah, golden. You can drop it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the, the open, I, yeah, it's great. I started using their open acrylics and it totally changed the way I paint because, um, you know, they're mixable and they stay wet. So yeah. it's it's more akin to oils. Um, I studied sculpture in school, so I don't... Um, I always intended to learn how to paint oils, but my path to becoming a painter took like... I graduated in 2012, so I mean, it took uh, 11 years to get here. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was painting in a, the fast-drying acrylics, I just couldn't get very precise with the the modeling in in the paintings, you know, and the, I actually, and I couldn't mix colors before you'd mix on the fly and then use them right away. And you have a short window before they're dry. And with the open acrylics, I, you know, I mix the whole palette like you do with oil painting. And it's really allowed me to get much more specific in the color and like, um, just have a lot, you know, it broadens your vocabulary basically. Yeah. 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 It's a totally different, sort of um way to to pace out a painting you know i mean i've been working with acrylics for so long that it's funny because there's even its own pace of like fast drying or faster or using a hair dryer uh-huh. <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> I, people find funny if they're not like uh you know if they don't work with acrylic they're like why are you using a hair dryer in your mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> um but yeah it's that that sort of like i've never used the open ones Cause I'm, and especially because I use a lot of tape, if it's wet, it won't stick. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the, the, the quicker, the better. Yeah. But did you, is it, I mean, I'm guessing by seeing your work that, you know, that kind of acrylic color, that acerbic and sort of bright colors that you could sometimes get that you can't do in oil. I'm sure that's an advantage for you. Um, It's just kind of part and parcel at this point. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never painted in oil, so I don't have much of a comparison, I guess. You know, it's just, it's what I've always used. Um, yeah, 
I don't, um, I used to always have a kind of chip on my shoulder. Like I thought I should be painting in oil, you know, cause it seems more serious or what have you, but I don't really feel that way anymore. I think yeah. I'm finally happy with it. So <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny though, how that exists? It's like, Oh no, that stuff is better it, than it, that or that's it, more real than that stuff. Yeah. That attitude definitely exists. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, yeah. is it aging out? I would imagine it's aging out a bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's art made with every kind of material these days. You know, everything under the sun gets a go, so it seems a little churlish to be like, oh, it has to be oil, you know? Right. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like electronic music. At the beginning of it, I remember when people were like, "Oh, that's not real," or you're using a synthesizer our laptop. You know what I mean? And it was yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And you know, I'm sure before that it was like electric guitar versus acoustic or something, you know what I mean? Sure. And that's yeah. kind of like oil versus acrylic. And now it's like, you know, it could be anything basically. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and acrylic is, I mean, one was, I don't know the history, but it's been around for a long time now, you know, it's yeah. not like it's um, new anymore. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I think the plastic base of it, the fact that it's man-made and not ground from you know minerals of the earth or something yeah. that's that's what gives oil its charm although you know i learned how to paint traditionally with oil paint and still lives and landscape painting and and it is buttery and it's nice you know it's got its advantages i guess but it sure. just uh wasn't for me over the long term um so well, where did you grow up i don't even know i'm from um livonia which is a suburb of detroit in michigan oh that's right Mm-hmm. was that I feel like um, there's a musician for, uh, never mind I'm not going to know who it is but well, yes the, Dana Schutz went to my high school so that's oh, probably go. the one connection um she was the first contemporary artist I ever heard of her um her dad was the guidance counselor at my high school oh, that's cool. small, small world, world. <laughs> um besides that it's you know it's a um normal suburban town um it's very it's like a lot of places in Michigan it's like a suburban ring around Detroit that I think was made from like white flight, you know, and it's yeah. like a, it's perfect mathematical grid. It's six by six square miles. And the name's like, you know, like M&M's from eight mile, you know, like right. five miles, six mm-hmm. miles, seven mile, eight mile. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice place to grow up, but I'm, I'm not there for a reason as an adult, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, were you, how did creativity enter your life? I mean, were you always drawing? Was it something yes, your parents yeah. were in tuned with or were they more working class or? Um, my mom is a postal worker and my dad's a mechanic. So yes to that. Um, yeah. I'm an identical twin and my brother went to art school with me actually. And we were always, um, you know, we were always those. It's funny because a lot of artists, you know, they'll have that story where they were always the one in class you could draw, you know. And me and my brother were a joint pair of the two in class who could draw. Um, and yeah, so I've just, I always was interested in art. Um, <clears throat> I took like, a, I think me and my brother kind of like maxed out of the art programs that the high school offered. Mm-hmm. You know, we took like AP art, which was just like, we just sat in the back room and looked at like books of Gauguin as like, <laughs> <laughs> um alone i think while the teacher taught you know the rest of the students um but it was like a football high school you know so yeah there wasn't there wasn't very high you could climb in that regard well just that they have ap arts impressive though i feel like art in my i mean i'm from pittsburgh and it was the same deal you know like sort of working class sure um, and uh I, my dad worked for the post not for the post office but he drove a truck 
of mail from post office to the the airport and like he was uh-huh. a truck driver but he drew, drove mail for the postal service so mm-hmm. and uh you know they, they it was like art was just i mean my art teacher was great she showed me a, a video of pollock that name of one mm-hmm. of him painting on the glass and it blew my mind but it was kind of like no one took art serious or anything you know the ap would never have even been associated with it I think AP, um, it's been a long time since I've thought of my art high school. I think they called it independent study, not AP. Okay. I haven't had to use those words in <laughs> 18 oh, years. Oh, right. Or whatever, well, advanced placement, I mean. Yeah, it, it was independent study, but I think it was kind of like a BS, like made up thing. Um, right. Yeah. Because AP comes, it's like actually accredited thing, right? It wasn't yes, like that. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, yeah. you can earn credits for college. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my son's in high school, so I'm in that mode. Again. Oh, really? And I didn't okay, think yeah. that was going, you know, you graduate out from that. And you think that's a wrap on that in my life. And then you're like, here we are back in AP talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's cool that you were, even if it was just looking at Gauguin, I mean, that's advanced. You know, I don't know sure, that yeah. a lot of kids are getting that, but um, did it always seem like, art was a thing that you were going to pursue or when did it become a little more serious? Um, I always, you know, there wasn't, it was kind of before the period where I'm, I mean, you lived through this as well, where art has become a real professionalized career. You know, I feel like that's really yeah. exploded in the 2010s onward. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, you know, in high school, I just always assumed I'd be an artist, but I always had kind of vague notions of what that would mean, you know, and how, um, like what my life would be, you know, there isn't, it's not like being a lawyer or a doctor where you have like a specific set of skills that you're doing, you know, um, with a specific function in society for that matter. But, um, yeah, I, I had in senior year of high school, I was going to go to art school and then I kind of had like a panic about global warming and then wasn't sure if I wanted to do something that seemed superfluous like art or you know try to go into something else but um i swallowed my panic and went to art school (laughs) basically it went over regardless of it yeah (laughs) we are i feel like it's always hits at some point in your education where it's like it comes up of like oh well you're making stuff and we don't need more stuff in the world so how do you feel about that and then we're just like well that you know it's usually well, this is less detrimental to the world than other things that are made, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. It's like a beautiful thing to make. And I think, you know, we are creative creatures. And yeah. uh, maybe if we weren't so brutally creative in other areas, it wouldn't be such an issue. You know what I mean? So we're <laughs> yeah. not the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I think in retrospect, you know, it was maybe um, I didn't really travel. We didn't have a lot of money growing up in like we'd go to my sister's gymnastics meets, but you know, we'd drive to them. So we'd drive to like St. Louis or um, Ohio, what have you, yeah. you know? Um, but I, I didn't really travel very much as a kid. And I was, I moved away to school in uh, Maryland at MICA. And I might've just also been a panic reaction to, you know, moving away from home, you know, like the schools that I was going to apply to instead were all in Michigan. Um, even though I was, uh, very independent as a teenager. <laughs> I was kind of a partier as a young, I got it all out of my system at a <laughs> youngish age. And then I have occasional flare ups, but you know, yeah. Was, uh, I mean, the twin question was your brother like that as well? Was he also 
you know, into art and did your, how parallel is the uh, identical twin? It's, um, it was parallel to a point. Um, he studied art as well. He's, he's a great painter. Um, but he switched tack and he's now a lawyer and Whoa, he's still 180. Yeah. It's a, it's a 180, but he works in, um, I mean, I don't know how much I want to talk about his private business or the podcast. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. But he, um, anyways, he, uh, he's a lawyer now and, um, yeah, but he's still a great painter. So, yeah, you know, creative. Well, the, that stuff's in you, you know, whether you, it's your career or not. You know what I mean? And did you yeah. do any sports? Um, I did, I'm a naturally athletic person, but sports requires a kind of, um, being a member of a team with straight men, which I wasn't capable of doing in high school. Like I, I could do the, the actual things in the sports, you know, like, but I, there was just a total lack of camaraderie with me and other, you know, like it's cultures come a long way with gay acceptance but at the time i just always felt kind of unwelcome and i can i've gotten less shy as an adult but i was quite shy as a teenager um and i just i couldn't cross that bridge at the time well i think uh you know elements of i'm when it comes to you know sports like masculine toxic masculinity is baked into the process a little bit over the you know, generations and generations of this kind of like toughen up, you know, that kind of stuff that could be really sure. off putting even to anyone. You know what I mean? That's, I think that's getting ironed out a little bit. I noticed, you know, because I, I, I do like volunteer as a running a youth soccer club and it seems mm-hmm. much, well, although I'm in New York City, so different, probably different, you know, spectrum of, acceptance and diversity than maybe like growing yes, up in abs- Pittsburgh or Detroit. So yeah. Yeah. But I mean, tennis would be a great sport. <laughs> Golf. Yeah. I, I played tennis and um, I joined it at, in my teenage years. And mm-hmm. most people who are on the team, you know, they, they did lessons when they were younger. Yeah. It, and it's been a while, um, right? yeah. so there was just, <laughs> I was too far behind in the skill. I was in a doubles team and I was serving and I, um, I hit myself in the head with the racket <laughs> and there was an audible roar of laughter from the stands. And I like, oh, I, think I, I think I quit soon after. Yeah. 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 That was the it retirement. Was just... <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Um, I listened to, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, <clears throat> you said that some people find it hard to like follow the narrative of a book. Yeah. Um, I tend to listen. I have like a core stable of books that I've listened to on repeat. Um, and, uh, the, the Southern reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, mm-hmm. which is, um, amazing sci-fi. Um, but it's like, it was made into the movie annihilation, which is, it's kind of an amalgamation of parts of the first and second book. And it's a, it's a decent movie, but it doesn't touch the book. Um, but I've listened to, I have a couple of books that I've listened to, like I've maybe listened to that book a hundred times, the trilogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know the beats that are coming, so I can tune in and tune out as needed. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like uh, you collage it together over time to be have like a deeper impact or something. I've done that. You read books many times over because I'll do that thing where I'm reading and like I'll black out for a page and start thinking of something else, but I'm still yeah. reading. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell did I just do? <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, But yeah, rereading can really, you know it gives you a deeper understanding. I mean, I'm, I'm on that, uh, on Rick Rubin's book and I've been reading it like over and over 
and in the same way of like just getting different things from it each time I read it, which is kind of nice. What book is that? A Creative Act. It's mm. like uh, it's about creativity. It's weird because he's you know I think he comes as to it as a music producer, and you know obviously the the main touchstone of his creative work has been working with musicians and music, but it it's you know just about creativity in general, and it really hits as from being an artist. I think there's a lot of great stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I wish I could read more. I'm just so often, you know, in the studio or in the book on tape thing. I, I like it; it's good. But I do love to just hold the book and read it. But I find I sure. never have the time. Like it's so hard to get that. It's such a luxury, you know. Yeah. Well, it really depends too. As um, I forget, I listened to some episodes um to kind of catch up with um your podcast and you were talking with someone about the narrate narrators i believe for books on tape uh-huh. but you know that that can be a real make or break depending on the actor yeah definitely. Um, the first annihilation the first and southern reach trilogy is narrated by carolyn mccormick mm-hmm. and she's one of the da's on law and order which my mom always had on in the background when i was growing oh, nice. up yeah, yeah and so it it scratches this weird like freudian itch for me where it's like a voice of my childhood reading my favorite book you know it's nice. like that's a good really crossover add- <laughs> and she's like she's a great actor you know like she really delivers it beautifully um but sometimes it can really add or detract a major layer from the quality of your experience so you have to find that like perfect combination of you know the content of the book and the delivery that's true it's really important like it's uh i'm sure it's like that between scripts and actors you know it we just i'm not reading a lot of scripts but uh mm-hmm. but yeah there was a murakami book that i really wanted to read but i was like well i'll get a book on tape and the narrator was just sounded like i don't know a commercial for selling insurance or something oh, you know? no. i was just like i can't <laughs> I couldn't get through it. I was like, oh, well, I wasted yeah. that, uh, 25 bucks or whatever. <laughs> I always hope that um, a new edition will be uh, released in like a decade and then they'll have found a better narrator more to my liking. <laughs> right. The updated, yeah. like the better book cover. It's like, oh, yeah. I'll get this now. This looks nicer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. A better sound. Um, so, well, dipping back, how was the the move to Maryland and Micah? Um, it was good. Um, uh, I have... Baltimore is, you know, it's very, it's a beautiful city. There's a lot of, in a kind of old American way, you know, there's a lot of like revolutionary war looking like old America, not not so far back as revolutionary war, but um, like civil war era buildings, you know, like brownstones, they look very like old American and it's very lush. Um, It's, it's a pretty rough city. There's a lot of crime. Um, Yeah, it was kind of just this pressure cooker you know being in art school i feel like when you're the kid who draws in high school to you know you're kind of isolated as the case may be there aren't necessarily a lot of other people you know um in the same niche as you and then when you go to art school for the first time you're suddenly with 1500 people who are all who are all that kid in their high school you know yeah and so it's a lot of um there's a lot of excitement and pressure there which is um yeah, I didn't have that I because I went to universities. I never went to art school, but I never thought of that. That it's it is really like that. It's like you're it going is, yeah. to where all the people like you know. Because if you go to art school for undergrad, you're really like locked in. Like you're like, this is something you you know you want to do. Like you're, it's not yeah. like you know you're just going to a liberal arts college and you start taking art classes and you're like oh this is 
this is cool. I like that. You know, you're kind mm-hmm. of like going to make art. Like I'm an yeah. artist, everyone, and everyone else is there the same, <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's nice that, you know, you're, you're with kindred spirits, ideally, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am, I'm still good friends with a lot of people from school, but <clears throat> just as the cookie crumbled, um, my friends are mostly illustrators and graphic designers. Yeah. So um, they, you know, they also have, they had a more tangible career path, I guess, right. you know, with like concrete jobs for companies and what have you at the end of it. Um, but I didn't, I studied sculpture in school. Um, I went into school thinking that I would be a painter. And then I had kind of existential freakouts whenever I'd be trying to decide what to paint. Freshman year, I just I would just panic and um, <clears throat> sculpture clicked with me. And then I did sculpture. Um, and now I'm a painter again. And I didn't know that having existential panics are just part of the package. And then you get over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the job description. <laughs> it's in the job description. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so, just you. It was like, it comes no, with it. Part of, yeah. I mean, I'm sure not, I don't know if everyone is like that, but um, you just, you know, you move on, you start working and you get over it. Um, but I, yeah. I didn't have that faculty at 18. So, so yeah. what um, with sculpture, was it the working with the material that spoke to you? Was it the the professor or the people or, and what were you doing? What were you making? Um, <clears throat> well, it was metal work. Um, I took a class um the intro to sculpture class and i started using a plasma cutter um so you're like drawing out holes in the metal and um i started making these like perforated lace kind of things out of metal Mm -hmm. it was kind of like a one trick thing that i stretched out over multiple years in retrospect you know Um, (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah at I, that's what I did throughout school and they got increasingly ambitious as school went on. Um, but they were still always rather like, I remember the notes from professors were often that the sculptures were too image based, you know, there can, there can be a kind of, uh, fetishization of like process and community involvement with sculpture, you know, and sometimes that's really great. Sometimes it can just be, um, conceptual dressing on it. Right. Especially for um, in undergrad, you know, ones that have some type of unique or attention-getting angle to how they're made. I think it was is um, that kind of draws attention and draws the imagination of younger people. I think. Yeah. And um, but I think my sculptures were always like more image-based, and that was uh, you know eventually led to painting after school. Right. Yeah. It's it's funny too because now I'm you know sculpture can be it's there's so many different options mm-hmm. now too with 3d printing and the, the the expansion of the media is uh it's 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 so different because i remember taking a sculpture class and we worked with you know like plaster like we were doing pretty straightforward old school stuff and and i was just like i could, couldn't get a handle on the the materials you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it didn't take but nowadays i would imagine many more people just like you know with digital work you know, working digitally with drawing and stuff can really introduce other people who are very used to now growing up on iPads or, you know, working mm-hmm. on the computer that it's more intuitive that it can, you know, bring them into that, um, the act of painting or sculpture. But, um, sure, yeah. but it seems like you already, you had that, you know, the base of the painting from when you were younger to, to go back to, but was it like a divergent that all of a sudden you were like, 
okay, I'm going to dip back into this. How did it, how did you go back into it? After school, you mean? Yeah. Um, so I had, um, you know, I, the, the processes I used in school required, um, you know, MIG welders, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, plasma equipment. cutters. They're not yeah. something you can do in your living room, you know? So I was, um, I was kind of at a loose end after school, to be honest, because I, you know, I didn't know how, like what to do next. And so I started carving um, foam mm-hmm. and I was making 3D sculptures and then eventually 3D sculptures carved out of foam. And then I'd paint, you know, plaster over them and then paint the plaster. Um, and, you know, I had a I had a full time job after school as um, I worked at a uh, sculpture like post fabrication studio. It was an mm-hmm. offshoot of Jeff Koons. Um, but they like, we painted like Earth Fisher sculptures, um, sanding and bondoing and all that stuff. So I was like slowly taking skills I was learning there back into my own work. Um, <clears throat> and then I became an art handler for quite a while. I worked on trucks for like three to four years. And then I worked in house at a gallery for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working on the side on my own studio. And that's why. That's one reason I've always become accustomed to having a home studio because as an art handler, I was working 50, 60 hours a week on trucks and I just physically wouldn't have time to go to a second location. You know, like I'd come, I'd come home and work for three hours after just having worked 12 hours at an art fair or whatever. Um, And so if I had to leave the house, it just wouldn't be possible. Um, So my development was kind of slow after school because, um, you know, I was young in New York having fun and I was, I had to support myself and the, I had a mismatch between what uh, tools were available and I was capable of using at the time with, you know, where I was artistically. And um, eventually the 3D sculptures became bas relief sculptures that I was painting. And then over time I was, you know, I had to learn how to paint because I hadn't painted that point in a decade. And um, so that, took a long time to slowly become interested in just the painting really and just leaving the sculpture element behind right and then when i finally did that um and then was only concentrating on painting as i have been for um since i think i quit my job in 2000 mid 2018 Mm -hmm. early 2018 um right before covid right before covid yeah um yeah my first I'm trying to think through the timeline. Yeah, it was, I think it was 2018. And because I had a bunch of shows, like, you know, small project spaces run by young people. And I just reached a critical mass where I was no longer able to do my job at the gallery without getting like yelled at and, um, you know, and like fulfill the artist stuff on the side. Yeah. And so I sold like two paintings for $6,000 total at the time, you know, and, um, I had a rent control department, so I was I was able to take the leap and quit my job, which was scary at the time. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's a nice feeling, though. You're like, okay, yeah. well, this buys me this many months. What the hell? Yeah, it was very much that, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the painting got much better faster when I was, you know, I didn't have a day job, yeah. and I was not um, getting distracted and limited by the bar relief elements. You know, um, when it was only the painting and you can change your mind freely all the time, if it's bas relief and it's carved, you can't 
if the arm is carved here, you can't make him doing something else in the painting, you know, like you're kind of locked in. Right. And that, that flexibility, um, helped to improve things. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you know, the, I don't want to say it's a crutch, but like when you get used to working a certain way or having this other thing, like the sculptural element, um, it, it almost becomes, it, it was probably making, your choices more difficult but you felt like it was giving you something like a structure to it that was Mm -hmm. you know uh, helpful in your mind but almost like an obstacle in your in your hand you know what i mean and it's hard to imagine because in looking at your work you look your your paintings look like you're very facile at painting it doesn't seem like anything that you would ever feel like oh i gotta learn this again or i mean that the quality of light and the color and the and the stuff you're doing in there just feels like in looking at it, just, I, I thought to myself, this is just a painter painter. Like someone. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate stuff. it. But it, it's hard to imagine that it's, I'm sure it's going to be nice for other people to hear who are painters <laughs> who are younger, maybe struggling through those stages or whatever to be like, Oh, okay. This isn't just a guy who was like, yeah, I could just do whatever I want. Bloop, bloop. And it was like super easy. No, it was not. It was not easy. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, nothing in life, there's no free lunch, you know, like it just took a lot of, um, a lot of work, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, but it all takes work no matter how like quote unquote proficient it is. Right. Cause like Dana Schutz to bring up the name, you know, you know, she, her work isn't, it's funny because if you show it to people who don't know much about painting or art, they would be like, oh, well, I don't, you know, okay. You, they're not going to be blown away by the the technical side of it, but we know mm-hmm. that her work is technically amazing. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? But but then in work like yours, it's a little more, since it does veer a little more towards realism or, you know, something that people off the street would look at and be like, oh, this is just someone who can, you know, make this look like this and this looks really nice. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's just that kind of like, you know, the perception you know, yeah. but, uh, her, I mean, I went to Scout Hagen with Dana and, you know, seeing her, her work back then in late nineties and then how it's changed, you know, it's so interesting because it is that process for her. Like it was always about this process of exploration, which is really amazing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's really cool yeah. to see your early work and then the work you're doing now and kind of like how you've moved through that sculptural element back into the paintings. But there's such a sort of um, a sort of weight to the space with light in the work mm-hmm. that is really almost sculptural in a sense. You know what I mean? There, it feels like you have a handle on these objects and how to give them both weight and light with, you know, um, the way you're painting it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think I've always been um, like, an early red flag for me being uh, gay for like my parents and grandparents was I've always been really, I'm, I love objects, you know, mm-hmm. like I, um, I would go to antique stores, like my mom and me would go to antique stores and we would go to museums later as a teenager. I didn't really go to museums as much as a younger kid, but, <clears throat> um, you know, we'd go to thrift stores and I always was like, ne- I'm a real nester, you know, like I love interior design and like the, I rearrange the furniture in my house constantly. Like every time my friends come over, they make fun of me because like the couch is facing a different direction and the dining table somewhere else. Um, 
it's just like a tick I have. And um, I think it comes just from like my love of objects, really. You know, like yeah. I really like, um, I don't know. There's just like, as a kid, Andrew Wyeth has, Andrew Wyeth is one of the few painters I knew of when I was like young, you know, before um, art was really on the internet that much. And if you were in suburbia somewhere, you know, you knew of Degas and Gauguin and et cetera. But um, he has that series of kind of, anth- anth- I have a hard time saying that word, anthropomorphized um, objects where they're like um, a boot with a stick in it and it's oh, a windowsill, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. this kind of like feeling of a presence made out of the objects, if you know what I mean. Right. And like, yeah. there's this one phenomenal painting that it's, if you just say what it is, like, you know, it's a big rock in shallow water and sand. I think there's like a fishing pole leaning against it and maybe something else. And on paper, that's so uninteresting. But in the image, it feels so like electric and kind of, there's something like dark and surreal about it, but it's not painted in any way that is not a flavor of natural. Like yeah. it looks natural and it's it's hard to define exactly what that energy is that he's put into those things but it's something that i'm very attracted to and um yeah i think my love of objects comes out in the paintings is what i'm getting at yeah yeah no i it's funny i mean do you ever did you ever think to yourself like oh i could definitely do interior design like i'd be very entertained by yeah. like working on these spaces and picking oh, beautiful I, things and well, I thought of being a um, a landscape designer, actually. Oh, yeah. um, I've always, I gardened with my mom as a kid. Um, she had a beautiful, they just retired and moved from my childhood home. And my mom developed this garden over 30 years. That was just spectacular, you Whoa. know, like flowers up to your head, like an incredible garden yeah. um, that wrapped all around the house. And we've since driven by and the new people tore it all out. So it's oh, very gutting. It's devastating. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. They put garbage cans where the peonies were. It's a oh, crime. Um, but yeah, I thought of doing that, but um, I didn't want to stay in my like childhood back pocket either. You know, yeah. like there's there's plenty of opportunity to be a landscape designer in Michigan, but I wanted to get out and see the world a little bit. You know, right? Well, yeah. here you are in Bushwick. Yeah, <laughs> here I am in a basement <laughs> in Bushwick, <laughs> seeing the world. How- yeah. Um, well, have you have you shown your work? Sorry, I don't have your CV in front of me, but oh no, you, that's fine. Have you been all around the world? How much travel have you done? Um, well, I studied abroad in Switzerland in school for one semester. Oh, um, from Mike through Micah. Yes, oh, that's um, cool. I had my um, tuition covered for one semester, and you know, there's no guarantee of being successful after school. And I, you know, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to afford to travel, so I was like, yeah, um, why not go to Switzerland? You know. Sure. Um, I speak, I spoke like high school level French at the time and it was either Paris or Switzerland, but I'd never seen a real mountain before, like a snow capped mountain. And so yeah. I chose Switzerland for the sound of musicness of it all. Sure. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, I was, so I was in Geneva. It was a beautiful city. Um, but I'd saved $3,500 from my high school job, um, working at like a donut shop and having a paper out, et cetera. And I thought that that would um, allow me to live in Switzerland for six months. Right. Which, <laughs> didn't, didn't I lost? It. I lost ten pounds when I was there. I was oh, eating no. um, soup in a cup, and I'd go into school early and steal the boxes of sugar cubes from the coffee rooms. Oh my god! 
um but yeah so well, at least but it, it was, was beautiful yeah it was beautiful <laughs> and i had a lot of fun and you know when you're 23 those well how old was i no i graduated at 21 so i must have been 20 um you know those things are they don't rattle you at that age you know it's fun it's an adventure oh yeah um, you can live yeah, on so the I, slim you know yeah i wasn't bothered at all at the time um and i showed with the gallery in um zurich and i had a show with them uh in 2021 mm-hmm. and so i went there <clears throat> and we went to italy my boyfriend and me went to italy afterwards um i've traveled around since you know just to europe and the uh united states but on this side of the mississippi basically yeah yeah, yeah. travel is so amazing right you just Oh, I know, well, personally, it's such a huge part of the inspiration of like my work, but, um, but yeah, going to Zurich, did you get to go up mm-hmm. the mountain? I mean, you know, I, I had a show in Zurich too at a uh, hunch of venison back when they were a gallery and I, they gave me a few days to just like in a great tour guide, the gallery director. And, uh, we went to the top of Rigi and like took this old tram thing up a mountain. I mean, it's mm. amazing when you go up there, it's surreal. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was one of those trips where you're just like, is this reality? You know what I mean? We're staying in a Absolutely. little hotel yeah. in the mountains, like in a chalet style thing. And it's just like really incredible. Yeah. We went to this one lake. I'm blanking on the name, but it's on the drive between Zurich and the Italian coastline. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it looks like a screensaver, everything. Like it's like these white snow capped mountains rising up with these sheer rock faces that are like, you know, a World Trade Center tall. Like, it's yeah. just a rock face that's as tall as a skyscraper with waterfalls coming off it everywhere. Um, and we were listening, we were, my boyfriend and me were blaring, like, Sophie and K-pop and this super, like, human music that feels like, you know, it's electronica, like, it's all human creation and it's very, like, future music. Yeah, yeah. With this, like, deep, eternal-looking landscape and the contrast was, like, so incredible. Um, well, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Music can have such a great, it's such a great companion to travel when you haven't been, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the yeah. places that I've been for the first time, I I remember some of the music, you know, like sure. driving across the country is like, you know, after high school and listening to certain music in like Utah with those rock formations and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just like hits different whenever you have that, that new experience in a landscape. Yeah. So you did a cross country road trip? Oh, many. Well, I was in a band and we toured a lot oh, of too. Course. So yeah. I've, I've been to every state except Alaska. I have not been mm. to Alaska, but yeah, seeing the country was amazing. You know, it's, it's so different all over. You know what I mean? It, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty amazing. I feel like every American should do one road trip across the uh, U.S. Just to, I know. Just the loop to see what it's like. Cause it's I very want to. diverse. Yeah, I, I've been to Los Angeles twice, but I just flew in straight to LA and then I was there for like a long weekend each time, like four days. Yeah. Um, and I think I I went to Texas for a work event, like a um benefit auction thing mm-hmm. last year. And I think those are the only three times I've crossed the Mississippi. So I have a lot of America I haven't seen. But yeah, it's so different out there. Just the physical landscape. And even in California. You know, because we would do the shows in San Francisco or LA or whatever. But then, when you're driving from Nevada, you know the the you go through this desert, 
there's desert areas of California. Then there's these redwood areas that are mm-hmm. majestic. And then you get to San Francisco and it's like, what the hell? This is like all within one state. <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. But yeah, like traveling for work is such a great, you know, like sharing your art in different places. It's it's a really, mm-hmm. it's kind yeah, of Yeah, as a, a musician, it must be electrifying. Oh, I can't it, imagine. Dude, I, I mean, talk about those experiences of like when you're younger, things you could do that as you get older, there's no way. I mean, piling mm-hmm. into a van with <laughs> no money, you know, yeah. barely eating. But the yeah, that energy of like playing shows. I mean, you know, we were a small band. We played in like indie rock places. But I mean, you know, seeing these different people all over the country, it was a pretty great experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the energy required for that has to be a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of coffee and in, you know, young I when you see bands who are older who are still doing it, you're like, how and how can they still be doing it? It's just um, muscle memory or something. Yeah. I I think that I like um when I'm working in the studio a lot, I need um I start breaking my sleep schedule up into like three hour chunks spread mm-hmm. throughout the day. Ah, the Buckminster Fuller method. Is it? Yeah, he was like, was it three hours then four hours? Yeah. Like you, uh-huh. you, that's supposedly the most productive you can be is if you're constantly like sleeping and waking like that. Yeah. For the lead up to my most recent show, I was um just working until I dropped basically. And then yeah. I would sleep three hours and then get up and start over again. Um, but so I need a nap in the middle of the day if I'm working all day long, you know? Yeah. And like, I can't imagine like what you're talking about, the age required for touring. Um, Biden being 86 as president, what I'm like, hell is I'm like, doing? what the hell? How? No, that's why he's, that's why he's <laughs> falling down on stage and shit. Like, yeah. that's why. <laughs> But I mean, I'll like, you know, I've, my grandparents have fallen here or there. Like I fall here or there, you know, that's like, that's, that's, that doesn't bother me so much as just the, I can't imagine having the physical and mental, mental, um, uh, endurance to do that, you know? Yeah, I agree. I I, I wouldn't have it now. I know. I I don't (laughs) understand it. And he wants more, like he's determined for more. I uh, don't get it. A pain sponge. I guess, or, yeah. or maybe it's just like muscle memory. Like you're yeah. used to that abusive schedule and like endless exhaustion to where you feel like if you slow down, you'll just break yes. down. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost yeah, like you just have to keep sure. going. So you don't- <laughs> like when people are afraid of retiring because they'll, um, they're used to having like a punishing or being in demand in some yeah. way. Yeah. Well, you feel like you have no reason after that. Like a lot of times people would just say like, well, what do I do now? You know, and then you feel like in a way part of he's dying because you're not doing the thing that kept you going for so long and you don't want to submit yeah. to that. The beauty of what we're doing is, you know, I don't know. I don't think about retiring. Do you like I I'll always I pain. I might slow my, down. I don't know. My um I was talking with my gallerist a couple of weeks ago and reti- someone was talking about retiring and retirement. I don't know why. And I was like, I'm retiring. Of course, oh, of course yeah. I'm retiring. <laughs> you're into it? I mean, I'm not, I'm not like taking an early retirement, but I, you know, um, life is for the living too, you know, yeah, like, I don't know true. when I'm 65, I don't know if I'm going to be painting, you know, I might retire the same age everyone else does. Well, listen, everyone, you gotta go see. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, that's a long way away. I'm 33. So I have a lot of time. There's a lot yes, of paintings yes. in between then, but, um, and you know, there's no guarantee I'll be in demand in two years, let alone 30 years, but Right. Um, uh, yeah, you know, like my, 
my mom worked, you know, long hours her entire adult life to support um, me and my siblings, which I'm very grateful for. But her life has opened up in a way post retirement, you know? Yeah. I called I called her the other day and she was um, she was on the third movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And she had been doing cross stitch the entire time. And she had a bowl of Cheez-Its and was watching birds out the window at all at the same time. I was like, she's living, you know, like yeah. she's really enjoying her life right now. Is it, um, did she cross stitch a giant Gandalf? I don't think so. You know, I didn't ask her what she was cross stitching, but, um, you know, she, she has, she has lots of hobbies that she's never really been able to fully explore or indulge because, you know, she's just working. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll pick up some strange hobby that I have yet to discover. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, it's a good point. It's funny because, you know, I, for, for years and years after school, I was fortunate enough, like you, like I got that sold a couple paintings and I was like, okay, well, I'll just take some time off working and just work on my work. And I was able to just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, I went a long term without doing anything, but just painting, you know, and Mm -hmm. animating. that was like my thing. And, uh, you know, having a kid throws you the curveball into that. You start to do other things you don't normally do. And, you sure. know, and then doing this podcast and talking to other people and writing and doing other stuff, it it really does kind of like nurture your your life in general. And then also the studio life, because, you know, if you're only doing that one thing all the time, it's okay, but you can, you can have exhaustion from it, you know, mm-hmm. like it can, it can sort of like, uh, dry out a little bit some of the sure, soil yeah. of it and i think mm-hmm. travel is a great thing for me like every time i travel i get so inspired you know mm-hmm. but i think it is important to to have that side of things you know where you're sort of like watering the soil of your your creativity in a way oh yeah absolutely i mean um i'm taking i haven't uh really been working that much since the show um, you know, it's been like a month and a half. Um, I'm like sketching for a couple of projects coming up and I have some like very small paintings I'm doing for um, some people. But, um, you know, you kind of need a, I feel like I left it all on the dance floor to a certain extent. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm always taking reference photos of like strange effects of light, you know, all the time. And, um, you know, different uh, piece of furniture I see online, a movie still, um, you know, just constantly amassing, um, like reference materials. And by the end of a show, I feel like I've used everything that I was going to use. You know, I've explored all the ideas I wanted to explore and you have to live, you you have to live life to like, to a crew experience where you're not going to have anything to paint about, you know, like, it's just like, um, if your work is informed by your, personal experiences at all you have to have personal experiences <laughs> yeah exactly so, like there's yeah. got to be something to pull from you know yeah absolutely unless you're agnes martining it and then you could just you know meditate and do your thing forever sure. you know yeah. daily practice sort of on koara i mean he had a yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like yeah that work must be so boring but he knew what he was doing every day <laughs> oh yeah i mean he was on a mission <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um uh-huh. so what uh yeah i mean you mentioned a little bit on your travels but um, when you're not in the studio and able to listen to music, I mean, have you always been really into music for like growing up? And like, what are your what are your go tos these days for music? Yeah, um, I'm I, I'm quite a cliche gay in some ways, I suppose. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this on the podcast, but I li- was listening to um, 
uh, live at Le Bon Soir by the Barbara Spurt Streisand album yesterday. Oh, wow. She, it was recently um, remastered. It was when she was 20 years old and a nobody. And she was live at Le Bon Soir, which is like a little hole in the wall in lower Manhattan in the mm-hmm. 1960s, I believe. And she was an unknown quantity at that point and hit like, it's absolutely incredible. Like she, her voice is insane. And she, it's like, there's like Yiddish stand up bits in between, you know, she has like nice. the whole, she's working the audience. Um, mm-hmm. And it was such a sensation at the time that all these like, you know, music executives were coming down. Like you have to come see this girl before she gets signed by somebody else. You know, like it was like this whole thing of like, it was like a, you know, explosion. Like she went from zero to 60 from right. this next this tenure team, so. there. Yeah. 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 And um, so I, I had a dream last night that I was in some like, you know, those in dreams, how the architecture is like, doesn't make sense. But I feel like it was this like tall Italian building. And I was trying to get to this room where I could hear her playing the other room in a piano and I couldn't find the door. And I was like going around in circles and like seeing through windows. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I've been listening to that and having strange dreams about it. If listen to a poor bed. Um, uh, I listened to kind of old jazz standards kind of things most of the time. I listened to Lana Del Rey, um, but also I love like Sarah Vaughn, Ella mm-hmm. Fitzgerald, um, Sarah. I love Sarah Vaughn a lot more than Ella Fitzgerald. Um, Amy Winehouse. I've been listening to Peggy Lee because sure. she's a um, Peggy Lee was such a great, just such a great uh vocalist beyond just the actual singing talents but you know some of the songs have this kind of like they're like comedy routines almost or she's like playing a character in it um one of my mom's favorite songs was ghost riders in the sky by peggy lee Mm -hmm. and um so i've always loved that song and i've always uh those are kind of my fallback music things sure and and if i'm like you know drinking or going out i listen to the same pop shit that everyone else does you know i listen to like charlie xcx and uh you know whatever um k-pop my boyfriend's korean so we listen to k-pop um but i only listen to that stuff when i'm like explicitly trying to have fun i think my standard is more <laughs> it's, like a, it's on the docket all right it's not that fun let's put on the well camera. if i if i listen to that in the studio i just literally would i'd put down my paintbrush and leave the room you know like yeah I, no i get it yeah yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. I like Zico, but I'm not listening to him while I'm painting. You know, yeah. it's kind of like you you take that stuff. It, it's it's like certain times. Sure, yeah. I do love that. You know, it's funny when you brought up the Barbara Streisand. I was never a huge Barbara Streisand person, but I do love that kind of sort of like um, sort of Broadwayish showish jazz. You know, like the Cole yeah. Porter. I think Cole Porter sure. started that sort of phenomenon of those kind of songs. But mm-hmm. you know, like, do you know Bobby Short? Have you ever listened? I've I know the name. I'm I mostly listen. I listen almost exclusively female vocalists. So but if you give one a shot, Bobby Short, sure. his song "I Happen to Like New York," I think mm-hmm. is right in that wheelhouse. But then there's Annie Ross. Do you know Annie Ross? No. Okay, you gotta. Annie Ross. I need a pen. Well, yeah. send it to me after. Yeah, I'll send it after. Yeah. Okay. And like the Boswell, the old Boswell sisters were great. Like that old timey kind sure. of like you know. Like you're talking like great American songbook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Annie Ross was kind of like, I mean, Woody Allen used a lot of her music. She was a little Mm. more goofy sometimes. She did the more, she did standards, but then she also did like, you know, funny songs and was a little more, some of that stuff had like a Broadway feel to it, you know, kind of teetered the line between, but 
but really well, good stuff. Like, like Blossom Deary. You know oh, her? I love Blossom Deary. Yeah, yes. I love Blossom Deary. And, you know, she was the Schoolhouse Rock singer. So I she had like, know that. She was one of the main voices on Schoolhouse Rock. That's Like funny. in the a Bill is a Bill on Capitol yeah, yeah. Hill. Yeah, um, I grew up in that stuff. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, I mean, but that's kind of, you know, that jokey middle ground between... Uh, I'm that being said, I've never been to a Broadway show. So um while I have listened to it, um I'm listening to it from my basement, not right, live. Right. I think we, new new Broadway musicals have a kind of cheesier pop sensibility that I don't really care for. Right. I like the older ones personally, but Yeah, when it was a little more yeah, it wasn't almost stylized in a way. Yeah. I can't um, with Wicked and those kind of things. Oh, I've never, yeah. No, I mean, no shade to anyone who likes it, but it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I did. I went to Hamilton, which was incredible. My son was really mm-hmm. into it at that time. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Broadway stuff that's more sort of contemporary in the sense of dipping into contemporary music. Um, Blossom Deary's version of I'll Take Manhattan. Do you know that song? I do, yes. Yeah. What a, it's such a beautiful song. I mean, that mm-hmm. is one of the quintessential new york songs you know yeah. what i mean it's so good i think my favorite song by her is um surrey with the fringe on top yep. yeah it's a great it's song good. yeah charlie mm-hmm. parker did a great version of that too yeah. that became like a bebop standard but yeah that was a great song yeah sure. i was walking my dogs yesterday in the park and humming that to myself just so <laughs> nice. you want to know how gay i am <laughs> <laughs> wait i've hummed that song <laughs> well i have some news for you buddy <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> uh yeah just kidding uh, but yeah no that's great um so you're you're taking some time and then uh like yeah well for now this show at ppow mm-hmm. happened and um so do you have anything else i mean uh, obviously people can find your work on social media online and stuff but like uh is there anything coming up that you're you know yeah um i'm gonna have one painting with ppow um freeze london mm-hmm. um so that's some time in uh, October, November. I'm a little fuzzy. On, I have it written down somewhere, but I don't remember offhand. Um, and I mean, you know, there's always art fairs to participate in if I, if I want to. And, and at yeah. that point, yeah. um, and there's, I have two, I'm going to be in two group shows, um, which, uh, I think a painting each, but the details of which are still a little, um, I'm not ready to share publicly, but, um, yeah, I think I'm just I I'm just slated to do, you know, a handful of paintings for the rest of the year. But um, I am a little curious and excited and anxious about making work that is outside of the body of the work from the solo show. Right. Because I spent um, it was almost um, I think it was 21 months, um, which I know because I asked Siri, not because I like counted them. <laughs> you didn't have a calendar with X's. No, I no, I bought a big wall calendar to motivate myself, and it, I just it stays blank, so it didn't work. <laughs> it's just um, there, yeah. It's just there, um, shaming me. But um, I spent like twenty one months on the on night pictures, and you know the the work took a long time to develop, and I love PPOW. You know they're they're a great gallery and you know they see me as like a person you know not just like a painting printing machine so imagine that yeah i pushed the show back twice and which they graciously let me do and you know i'm, I'm very happy in retrospect that i did because it, it needed that that time you know to develop yeah. properly um so but i've just been in the universe of that show for a very long time 
And so, you know, it's, it's exciting and also a little nerve wracking to leave it. Right. Um, so one of the paintings I have planned is like, um, set in sunlight, which is, nice. <laughs> it's a real, <laughs> it's a real change of pace. Yeah. Um, so that alone is, you know, I'm, I'm very specific about effects of light and color and nailing, you know, like really trying to nail the atmosphere of a painting through that. Right. And, um, I haven't, I can't remember the last painting I did in sunlight, if there even is one as, as an, as an adult. So that will be a challenge all of its own. Is it of a garden? Um, no, it's inside, but I do, you know, I want to set a couple challenges for myself for just things I haven't done before, you know? Yeah. Um, like I, I haven't made a multi-figure painting as, um, in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this show was explicitly about being inside, you know, but right. earlier on in the show, um it was it that wasn't the case like they were inside and outside and my favorite painting from the show actually um paper angel which is like the vertical one that has the orange wall right um for the longest time that was a forest scene and um i so i spent like three weeks painstakingly painting like this forest floor with tons of you know leaves and every little plant detail and there was a naked figure who was reflected in like a body of water at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was working on that. And then the show kind of clicked into place with it all being inside. And that painting just didn't make sense, but it had to be in the show. And um, so I painted over all of it, except the trees in the window outside. And so that's like the only part that survived from the first iteration of the painting. That's but it's cool. like this weird window into the past of the painting. Um, it almost so looks like, like it could be wallpaper too, in a way. Sure. At first, yeah. because it is a, a much different light sensibility than what's being reflected onto the mirror and the orange wall. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of cool that it you slowly creep back into that and see it like later. Yeah, I repainted the trunks of the trees to match the. I mean, I uh, to match like the as if there's light being thrown out the window and it's yeah. hitting you know in mid trunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to paint something outside, fully outside. Um, that's like a challenge for myself. Um, well, there's carte blanche right behind you. Yeah. To work. <laughs> I know, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's mocking you. It's like, come it on. Is, yeah. this is I know. I was, I was thinking before this meeting started, like, should I move this plank canvas that's looming behind me? But um, Why? I'll just leave it there. <laughs> well, A, this isn't. <laughs> no one sees this and B I'm a painter. I'm right there with you. I got a blank canvas. I just, I just knew it would be, I just knew it would come up. You know, I just had a spidey sense about it. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's the, you know, it's the, uh, that great feeling of like a little bit of anxiety, but like this could be anything, which is like opportunity and excitement. And also a little bit like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I meticulously like, plan the paintings before I start them mm-hmm. like they're like I spend um weeks planning the paintings like up to like four weeks literally only on prep work for the painting before I ever start painting mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's frustrating if you're my gallerist because it takes a long time but I also like I really know what I'm like what the image is going to be when I go into it right. and I you know I would say they end up being like 70% of that original thing most of the time. 
-hmm. like in the painting we were talking about before it obviously went through a total overhaul and became a different thing but in general um i kind of um try to like uh limit the variables if you know what i'm saying yeah totally and but th things change um you know because when you're sketching and you're, when you're working on something this big for planning um things just behave differently at different scale so you can make it a painting and then you're like i just hate how big the head is in the painting right. and when it's a piece of paper it doesn't bother you and then when you see a head this big you're like i'm not painting that you know like that's not yeah. <laughs> and you instantly know and then you have to rejigger you know but yeah 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 yeah, no, that I I do the same thing. I'm mm. gonna draw things out on the computer for the most part, but then anytime you translate, change happens. You know, there's mm -hmm. it's just a different thing. As as much as you try to, mm. you know, map it out, there's that's the beauty of it. You know, is there's mm -hmm. a little bit of like organic tweaking that happens that is why when people say, Well, why do you just make why don't you just make digital paintings? Why make it a painting? Well, part of it is that, you know, the translation of the medium does something. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the new work whenever that is. No pressure. No pressure. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see the new work. But this this work is really beautiful. I mean, that's the show's amazing. And I totally understand why it took that long to make because it's it's a really great group of images. So thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, thanks for doing this. It was great to talk. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking out the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find images on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. If you would like to support this podcast, you can really help out by leaving a rating, a review, sharing it on social media, or sharing it with a friend. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors, the New York Studio School, and Fulcrum Coffee for their sponsorship. Many thanks to kyle for taking out the time to talk make sure you check out his work his website or ppow website got some great episodes coming up some really great artists so make sure you stay tuned and thanks so much as always for listening